Greetings from Florida. It's hard to believe, but it's already been 10 years since the National Association of Television Programme Executives, NAPI, upped sticks and switched coasts, moving its annual January conference from Las Vegas to Miami. The move has been a largely successful one for the organization, giving it a much needed shot in the arm and bringing with it a significant new focus, the Latino and Latin American market. I'm your host, Adam Benzine, C21 Media's Canadian Bureau Chief, and in this week's podcast, I'll be speaking with a variety of different executives here at NAPI Miami to get a sense of the myriad challenges facing the business. To kick things off, I sat down with JP Bamel, NAPI's President and Chief Exec, to reflect on the conference's move from Nevada to Florida 10 years on. Well, listen, uh, JP, congratulations. NAPI is in full swing. And I guess, first off, congratulations 10 years since the conference first moved from Las Vegas to Miami. Um, it's been a very rejuvenating move for the conference. How do you feel? How, how do you feel the market has changed moving from one side of America to the other? I think well, growth. You know, global. Certainly, the direction is global. I mean, that, that that's and then also, you know, the the what has changed a lot is the business. So we followed. No, we don't follow that. We kind of ahead of a curve on that. Uh, you know, I've been with NatPe since my fifth NatPe now. So mm-hmm. I, I I I've always known NatPe as NatPe Miami. So for me, the growth has been there. You know, in a sense that. Uh, we've added some tracks. We, uh, you know, as it has become now the one-stop destination, if you will, for the content of commerce. You know, globally, mm-hmm. uh, we've seen some tremendous growth from. Uh, 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 the, the, from Latin America, of course, because they've always been here. But you know what's also very exciting is to see, you know, especially this week. It's uh, it's remarkable is how the U.S. the U.S. Um, uh, uh, distributors and Latin America are working together. The streamers are very important also to the show. So you know, I think the 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 the, uh, the growth of the market year over year, I be ex- exactly that to follow the the, the trends of uh, of the industry. So this year, it's we. Really, I mean, it's, it's what a seismic year this has been. You know, mm-hmm. we for, for for everybody. So what we built this year really is a is six shows in one. And I know you've been around the conference. Uh, we have a very vibrant. Um, station group summit this mm-hmm. year. Last year we launched the uh, the Kelly Clarkson show and various show, and this year we we launched the, the Drew Barrymore show here. You got you got you got a lot of talent in town: Tamlin Hall, Nick Cannon, Mario Lopez. All these are U.S. name, and but yes, yes. but what's been very interesting in in the, in the U.S. market is the growth of the local programming. Mm-hmm. That's been that's that's got that had seen a lot of. Lot of strength, and with the rise of OTT, that local programming gets its way to people to everywhere. You yes. know, so you could be a Philadelphian who moved to London, and you could you could keep up with what's going on uh, locally in that market. Also, original programming from uh, the station group is, travels well as well. So, so that was a great a great growth. Uh, what we what was very successful. And we in day two, we are day three more. Mm-hmm. But it was the unscripted uh, track, yes. which was absolutely amazing because we achieved to have all the uh, the heads of uh, development at the networks, uh, including Paul Buccieri from from A and E, and we had uh, you know. Uh, uh, 
amazing panels on, on, on the discussion around documentaries, around um, uh, crime series and so forth, which is a big, which is a big draw internationally, you know, in terms of uh, even formats. So yes. it's been a very vibrant market. Uh, yes. We've seen a lot of um, deals announced, yes. which is which is always a, a good thing for a market, obviously. Um, you know, uh, Lauren Lake is launching a show as well, which is also a local town. Um, when you when you talk about that local programming, mm-hmm. uh, I think one of the interesting things we've seen is really how the syndication market is changing. Yes. You know, I mean, obviously, where you would have a, a lot of shows that would go on NBC and Warner, and then they would go out to syndication. Right. Now NBC has its own streaming platform, right. uh, Peacock, and right. Warner has HBO Max, and right. a lot of library content, older content is being held back. Right. A lot of station groups are more relying on their own programming, as you said, local right. programming. Hearst is here with, uh, matter of fact, with Soledad O'Brien, you know, right. which they make themselves. Right. Uh, it seems like it's it's really changing, you know, with I the arrival of all these streaming services. I, I think it gives, yes, absolutely, you're, you're absolutely correct. And I think it, it gives uh, local programming a voice because mm-hmm. You still need locally to get. I mean, it, it, you need to be able to relate to content, to be emotionally connected to it. So uh, there is great value in the Netflix, in the streamers, in getting terrific series and high-level dramas without, you know, uh, leaving your living room. But there's also a great, a great need for what, what, what's happening in your community. Mm. What, what are the, whether it's scripted or unscripted, or news or sports or live TV. This, there's, there's a great demand for that to relate to what's happening in your town or in your community. Uh, so that's that, that, that's the strength of that. And th- I think the station groups also have get, have got more organized. Obviously, one can see that. As, as a challenge for some, but you know, uh, for example, you, you had some mergers and consolidation, mm-hmm. as in 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 in, 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 in all the businesses in, in in television, quite frankly, yes, uh, and you know a lot of that. So you got Next Star, who now co- covers sixty three percent of the country, and we just honored Perry Sook uh, with the Lou Klein Award. You know, you've got a Hearst doing very well. You got, and they're all here. So no, because. Uh, uh, again, they, they 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 have a lot of shows and a lot of uh, uh, that they, they want to sell to each other. So, uh, local is is very important. And I've said that before. Local is a new global, you know, because it yes. really it really gives you an aspect of a, of, a, of a certain genre. Despite having a bumpy start this week, owing to computer outages at host hotel the Fontainebleau, this year's NAPI conference quickly kicked into high gear with plenty of news and activity on the market floor. Among the players making announcements was the newly merged Viacom CBS, which revealed to C21 that it had signed a first-look talent deal, its fourth deal in 12 months, with respected Spanish-American producer Frida Torres Blanco and her production company Braven Films. I had the opportunity to sit down with Federico Cuervo, the senior vice president and head of Viacom International Studios, and also with Juan J.C. Acosta, the president of Viacom CBS Networks Americas. Here's Federico starting us off, discussing the benefits of these types of first-look deals. It's a first-look deal uh, with uh, Frida and her production company based in New York, uh, Braven Films, uh, also to develop uh, whatever content it's we, we want for every platform feature films. Yes. So it's, it's, we are very excited also with this fourth uh, talent adding to, to, 
to the roster in, yes. in the studio. And it sounds like she'll give you a real boost on the feature film side, you know, with credits like that from Pan's Labyrinth and from Disobedience. Yes, but she's, al she's also working uh, very hard on, on, on series, on premium series, and, and she, uh, she comes from a Mexican background, she was raised in, raised in Spain, she works in New York so, and in Hollywood, so she comes with all that uh, background uh, to, work, to work with us and, and we are very excited with, yes. with that prospect. In terms of these first look deals that you're looking at, is it specifically um, individuals that you're looking at? I mean, obviously, these have been deals with writers, directors, producers, but are you also looking at maybe production companies that you might want to do deals with or uh, actors that you might want to do deals with? What? How are you specifically approaching it? Well, we, we are very open to, to making alliances or first look deals or or whatever the term will be with, with production companies and, and individuals. Mm -hmm. We are working with US writers on specific, uh, specific shows or, or projects. Uh, we, as a studio and as a company as a whole, we are very flexible. And as JC mentioned, we have lots of partnerships, uh, co-producing, uh, co-developing with, uh, with other companies being or production companies or other studios like Media Pro mm -hmm. in Spain and in, in Argentina, uh, also with MVPDs because of our large company. So it, it isn't just individuals. Obviously, we, we, we go after big, big talent, big mm -hmm. names, uh, but also uh, it's, it's working with, with other companies and in, in, in the greatest content we can yes. we can develop and produce. Yes. I also spoke to JC Acosta about Viacom CBS's Latin American plans for its ad-supported streaming platform Pluto TV, which was acquired by Viacom for $340 million in January last year. Tell me a little bit about what we'll see happening with Pluto TV this year and uh, well, uh, how, the, how you can use it, what you'll be using it. I think the amazing thing is uh, what the US has done post-acquisition. Hmm. They've become the number one ad-supported streaming service in the U.S., reaching 20 million active users, uh, vast array of channels, vast array of content providers. Uh, it's worth clarifying that it, Pluto TV is not a Viacom IP-driven platform. Mm -hmm. It really goes out to the entire market, to all the content IP owners, and says, here is a platform that really resembles YouTube in its sense. Mm -hmm. We've created a curated channel lineup that really kind of goes to somebody who wants to binge on curity type channels. And they've really done an amazing job in the US, great success. We now are working very closely with them. Uh, back in July 2019, our division, the Americas, launched the US Hispanic offering and partnering with Pluto US on that. So we started to get our feet wet, understand the model a little mm -hmm. clearer, how the partnership happens with the content providers, uh, with the distributors, uh, the programmatic and direct sale aspect of the business. So that was our ability to get the learnings, build a business case and a business model to really start going to market in Latin America and saying, we're coming with Pluto in 2020, mm -hmm. come be a part of that. So we've reached out to a lot of the same content 
providers in the U.S. and said, we're launching in Latin America. Let's kind of discuss the successes you've had in the U.S. Let's replicate that in Latin America. We see a huge opportunity because obviously penetration of pay TV is low. In Latin America, there's mm. a huge gap between that and mobile uh, mobile subscribers. So we do feel that a lot of mobile subscribers that don't subscribe to pay TV are actually accessing content on their phone, on their broadband services. So we feel Pluto's the perfect way to really capitalize on that un kind of targeted market uh, and where a lot of the OTTs have taken that space. Uh, so we're looking at a 2020 launch. We have a channel lineup that we'll be announcing shortly. We have partners in the pipeline that we're working with to launch it. So really excited. Uh, there's been great reception in the market, a real demand for this product as well, uh, and only great things to come. Elsewhere at the conference, Wednesday saw Nappy hosting its 17th annual Brandon Tartikoff Legacy Awards, honoring those creatives and executives bringing excellence to our industry and named for the late innovative NBC boss. Among this year's honorees was Courtney Kemp, the showrunner behind Star's hit drama series Power. I spoke with Ms. Kemp by phone just before Nappy kicked off. She got her first break in television, writing for Fox sitcom The Bernie Mac Show some 16 years ago, and I was keen to get her thoughts on how the industry has changed in the last decade and a half. Oh, well, the biggest change in the industry for me is definitely how uh, the issues of inclusivity and diversity have come mm -hmm. to the forefront, and people are now actually paying some attention. Um, when I was coming up, it was very much like I was the only black person in the room a lot of times, uh, or, I, or I could be the only woman. Mm -hmm. That changed a lot uh, for the better. Um, but, you know, the people who were in power back when uh, I was coming up in the business are still in power. Almost none of those people have retired. It's the same. So you're still fighting the same battles, even if people want you in the room now. Um, you're still fighting the same battles of uh, inclusivity uh, and being understood. Um, I mean, tell me a little bit what your thoughts are on, on the the, the landscape at the moment for cable and for SVOD players. I mean, we have uh, Disney has launched its own service. Apple has launched its own service. Uh, Netflix and Amazon have become big players. Um, you know, as you're coming up with, with, with projects at the moment, um, you know, how do you feel looking at the landscape? Um, as long as we as writers are able to protect our ability to own some part of our um, shows, I think this is a great thing to have more opportunities. I do think, though, that there is a little bit of new content fatigue with the audience, and mm -hmm. so you want to make sure that the audience does feel like there's something special to watch as opposed to feeling like they have a lot, a big homework assignment. Because I think sometimes that is what happens. People are just tired of, of like, oh, yeah, I need to watch this, I need to watch this, and there's so much TV out there. Yeah. So much TV. I also posed the question of progress to Soledad O'Brien, the host of Hearst Television's public affairs show, Matter of Fact, with Soledad O'Brien. She and her show were honoured with Nappy's recently revived Iris Award of Excellence, and I spoke with her by phone as well, just before Nappy kicked off. Listen, I, I think on camera, certainly, you have much more diversity than you had when I started. There is no question. I mean, most stations, when I started, someone would say, oh, 
Sarah Ann Shaw at WBZ, she was the first black reporter. I mean, people could point to that one or two people, mm-hmm. and they were, you know, uh, older women who had been there for a long time, right? And, and there were not, you know, you could say that, that, that there was just a very little, uh, there was very little diversity, and it was a rarity. I mean, people talked about it like, oh, my goodness, it's so rare. I think that's changed, certainly in front of the camera. The real question, of course, is power and who has the voice of determining the direction of conversations, which is the true power. So I think you haven't actually seen diversification when it comes to people who are in charge at the highest level. Those those things are still held by the same guys, frankly. And also, the other thing that's happened is media has spread out. If there's, there's so many more opportunities for someone who wants to be a journalist today than when I started where mm-hmm. cable CNN and, and uh, had just started. So, um, and I was there for the launch of MSNBC. I was part of it. So those were all incredibly new. But for the most part, if you had a job in TV, you were working for something, some organization that was affiliated with ABC, NBC, CBS, or PBS. Yes. Uh, and, and now there are so, the same other platforms. Exactly. So you have just a ton of opportunity. And I think because there's a ton of opportunity, that's also helped bring new people and new voices in. Uh, but again, if you're talking about the major players where the real money is and the real power is, I don't think you're, you can say there's just there's been a tremendous amount of change, unfortunately. Finally, this year's NAPI also brought a host of new faces to the market. The growth of SVOD and streaming services and the explosion of new players arriving on the scene meant new opportunities for content creators attending the event. Among the newer buyers at the market this year was Topic, the streaming platform launched by First Look Media last November. Topic's general manager, Ryan Chinatri, was in Miami shopping for content, and I sat down with him to discuss the platform and the kinds of programming that he's looking for. Well, Ryan, this is uh, not... Topic's first time at NAPI. I believe you were here a couple of years ago. But just for any listeners who aren't uh, familiar with the brand, tell us a little bit about Topic and about the kinds of programming that you're going to be looking for, and also about your parent company, First Look Media, and what they're best known for. Great. Yeah, we're excited to be here. So Topic is the entertainment side of First Look Media. Um, we have a nonprofit and a for-profit. And under Topic, we just launched our streaming service in November. So that's sort of our direct offer into the market. And that's really comprised of a wide variety of um, programming from drama and comedy to doc and narrative to special performances. And we, we looked, looked to expand beyond sort of typical genres in the future. Uh, we're really sitting at the intersection of uh, programming that's really engaging and entertaining while still having some type of meaning that can be as simple as just a relationship story. We launched uh, one of our uh, new originals this December, which is just a sort of funny look at a couple in London and what happens when there's a proposal and it doesn't quite go so well. Mm -hmm. Um, So we're really looking to not really be a a particular niche or um, type of, uh, sorry, a typical, not a genre niche, but really look to be um, a, a selected and, and very sort of well thought through curation of, of titles that we hope over time people will come to really trust um, what they're being presented with and take a chance um, on maybe something that they wouldn't you know normally check out if it was presented to them in, in a different context or on a different service. Yes. Um, and the, the channel is available on demand? 
It is, so we're on um, Roku, Apple TV, iOS, Android, Fire TV. We also launched recently on Amazon Prime channels, so we're in the U.S. and um, Canada, and you can uh, get there most easily just at topic.com and sign up to subscribe. Yeah. Now, there are channels who've been coming, or broadcasters networks, that have been coming to Nappy for many, many years. Mm-hmm. And then there are newer players, and I guess you, you would be classified as a, a newer player. Mm-hmm. The market's obviously best known for uh, uh, being a hub for syndication programming and also having a big focus on uh, LATAM content. Tell me the kinds of things that you're looking for here at Nappy and the opportunities that you see at this market. Yeah, so as a platform, we're really striving to have voices and stories from across the world. We're not trying to be necessarily an international-focused service, but really one that brings interesting points of view no matter where they come from. And in particular, we're interested in ensuring that we're well-represented, and one of the areas um, we're looking to further our programming is Latin America and and South America. So that's part of my um, task here is I'm going to be meeting with several production companies um, to talk about, you know, what are they, what are they developing right now? What might be a good fit and intersection with what we're looking for? Um, and then just generally to catch up with some of our other partners who we've been working with and, and licensing um, and looking to do co-pros with. So just exciting to have um, a slightly different set of, of companies than some of the other markets and, and see see what it's like. So you're, you're predominantly look, looking for original content that's unscripted, is that right? Or scripted as well? You're not so much looking to acquire finished product or library catalog content? Actually, all, all of those. So mm-hmm. the service is a good mix of um, fiction and um, nonfiction, scripted and different, uh, you know, as I mentioned, sort of comedy, uh, drama. We have a lot of documentary doc series. So we're really looking, we, we don't really have a, a specific kind of lane in that sense, but we just want to make sure that what, whatever it is fits those filters I mentioned um, mm-hmm. before. So, um, you know, we're looking for co-productions. We're looking for finished titles that a lot of what is on the service at launch is licensed, but most of it is premier to the North American market or exclusive that you haven't been able to see here. You know, maybe a big drama that was in Germany that hadn't come to the U.S. before. Um, so we're we're kind of um, examining the whole range and, and seeing wherever there's opportunity to bring our audience uh, a title that we think deserves to be seen and, and should have a home. Yes. Do you have a sense of how much you're looking for? Like, is it a considerable amount of hours of programming or is it a bit more on the kind of selective side? Yeah, definitely selective. We're really trying not to build um, a huge volume of hours, really, but to be specific about what we think our audience will enjoy. Mm. Um, we want to have, you know, something really interesting every month that we can bring you in addition to maybe some other, uh, some more t- traditional catalog or library uh, you know, maybe documentaries from the past 10 to 20 years that you might have missed and, and released those over the year. But yeah, we're looking to only have a few big titles per year, things that we feel strongly about that we can, you know, most effectively market in the crowded landscape. And again, and part of what we're striving to do is cut down on um, the uh, selection effect, right? When you're browsing and clicking and scrolling, we want you to come onto our homepage and you know, see in the first screen of the app something that's new and looks interesting to you and, and trust us to press play. A bit more curated. Yeah, exactly. So we don't want, you know, um, that title after title after title after title. We want to make sure you feel like there's enough there to watch, but at the same time, 
uh, I, I, I recognize that topic's going to bring me something that I might not experience, and I'm going to give that a chance. So that's the longer-term you know, goal. And are the specific lengths that you're looking for in terms of number of episodes in a series, of run times, half hours, 40 minutes, hour-long episodes, or are you just... Yeah, we're pretty um, agnostic to that. Obviously, traditional formats, you know, make sense in many cases, but we have shorts. We have, I mean, the durations on the platform now range from series that have 50-second episodes all the way up to sort of 55 to 60-minute um, uh, dramas. I think we have a five-hour documentary on there. Um, so it's really quite a, a range, and the beauty of being a streaming platform is that, you know, we don't have to worry about... Um, you know, commercial breaks and all of that. So, yes. one of the challenges with that remit is that when you're covering everything, you know, you're, mm. you're able to cover everything yeah. and any kind of length, and the only requirement is that it hasn't been on North American television. I would imagine every producer would hear that and think, well, my show fits that. Mm -hmm. So what, what makes a topic show a topic show then? How would you refine it for anybody who would be looking to pitch to you? Yeah, we do have a very, I think, you know, specific set of programming filters. Uh, aside from needing to be highly engaging and, and having a strong narrative arc, even, even in a sort of unscripted series, we want it to be, um, again, that kind of have some sense of meaning. Uh, that doesn't mean it has to be like an inconvenient truth, you know, which is amazing, and we would certainly love to have a project like that, but it doesn't need to be entirely rooted in something socially conscious, but there needs to be a little bit of uh, sort of a, a commentary or, or um, something that the creator is trying to say about the world. We really look for our stories to be human-centered or focused, so really have a, a strong character or, um, you know, uh, some type of community at, at the center of them and then it's important they're provocative in the in the sense that they're trying to say something you know very strongly that they're making a uh, taking a stand having a point of view and I'll, I'll say the last thing that I hope ties everything together on the platform for our audience is that everything feels elevated that doesn't mean incredibly expensive and shot with really fancy cameras but just that the way in which um, the scenes are structured, the way in which the interviews are, are set up, you know, there's a specific style and um, a point of view, again, from the creator. So that, that having a really strong creator-led um, vision is really important to most of our projects, and that then, I think, carries through to those filters. That's all for now from our Nappy Miami podcast. I'll be heading to the somewhat less warm climes of Ottawa and Canada next week for the CMPA's annual Primetime in Ottawa conference, while my colleague Clive Whittingham will be heading down to New Orleans to cover the Real Screen Summit. Take care, and thanks for listening. Mm -hmm.